It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. House mania has hit the entire country, and there are certain price points, most anywhere in the United States, it varies by market, where the second a home goes on the market, it gets multiple offers. And a lot of these stories you think are fish stories. No, somebody really didn't get eight offers within a day of their home going on the market. But believe it or not, stuff like that is routine. And buyers of homes right now feel squeezed between a rock and a hard place because you're having to pay effectively a significantly higher price than what homes were just a couple of years ago. And you're nervous. And I get that because there are a number of factors that I've discussed with you on prior podcasts about why home prices have gone up like they have. One is the very low interest rates. But the biggest factor, just to review, is that after the the process of the real estate bust, the banking scandals that led to the real estate bust, led to all those foreclosures and all the rest from uh, 2007 to 12, a major part of the home builders in the United States went out of business never to be seen again. And so the capacity to build homes in the United States is way below the numbers needed just for household formation in the United States. We have a classic supply problem. We also have an issue with land availability and the cost of land. And in more and more jurisdictions, the junk fees that are added into the permitting process. One thing with this is that buying used homes has a bigger advantage right now than normal even though all homes, new and used, are inflated in price, the greater problem in price points is with the new homes. Builders have been paying more for materials. They've had difficulty finding labor, paying more for the labor available. They may have paid more for the land. They have the impact fees. All those things have added together to give a meaningful price advantage right now more than, I mean, forever I've talked about the advantage of buying used homes versus new, but right now the price advantage is so much greater for the used homes. And yeah, they may not look up to the minute up to date, but the value per square foot is much greater with that used home than that new. And I know interest rates have moved up some, but by historical standards, they're still fantastic. I mean, I'm old enough that I remember when mortgage rates were 18%. And today, people are like, wait, wait, they're not 2.875% anymore? They're 3 point something percent? Let me tell you, that's still really good. But the most important decision for you to think about in buying a house right now is the ownership cycle you intend to have. You 
will have heard me historically talk about when you buy a new home, that you should have an intended ownership cycle of seven years or more. And as I've said with condominiums through the years, 10 years or more. The irony of that is that generally people who buy condos buy them with an intention of owning them a shorter time than owning a home, where the economics say it should actually be longer for the condominium than the home because when prices do zig and zag, condos zig and zag more than single-family homes. But my 7- and 10-year rule no longer is operable. If you are looking at buying a new-to-you home, new or used, single-family home, not a condo, you need to do the 10-year rule. You need to own it for a decade or more. Now, I forgot to explain the seven-year. The reasons for seven years is there's so many expenses involved in buying a home, so many expenses involved in selling a home, figure 10% in, 10% out, that you need a substantial number of years to overcome those costs, even with a natural increase over time of home values. You need time to overcome that 10 and 10. But right now, because home values have moved up as much as they have, we don't, and and have outrun a lot of people's ability to afford them, we don't know what's going to happen with prices over the next many years. Are we going to have a correction in home prices? Nothing like the bust from 7 to 12, because that was all because of the banks and the dirty behavior of the banks and all that. This is nothing like that. This is, there's a number of factors that I've mentioned that are principal to this. The reality is, at some point, home values may stall out. They may even decline slightly over the next many years. It doesn't mean a disaster like before at all. But it means if you buy with a short ownership cycle in mind, you could end up in a situation where you could even potentially be upside down, where you could have more cost in that home than what you can sell it for. So that's why you overcome the temporary issues that have boosted these prices beyond a normal cycle to where if you own it 10 years or more, the chances that you would get hurt fall to near zero. It's a much more realistic ownership cycle. And so when you look at a home, look at it with that eye of thinking, hey, I'm whatever age now, change that first digit, a two to a three, a three to a four, a four to a five, would you still be happy leaving that last digit the same and stepping that first digit up one? In other words, a 10-year cycle. If that works for you, then go ahead and buy that home if you can afford it. Krista? Speaking of homes, Mary Jane in Georgia says, what are the pros and cons of purchasing solar panels? Okay, so built-in bias right here. I love solar. I had solar a long time, and the difference now is solar is much more, has a much better payback period than it did when I initially installed solar because the cost of panels in roughly a decade has dropped 90 plus percent. So panels are 
a real deal now, relatively speaking. The issue is not the panel itself. What's the total cost? What's the install going to cost you? And what's a realistic payback for you? The obvious answer is if your state has significant tax credits on solar, then that helps make the math work for you. If your state doesn't, then being across the Southwest or the South or Florida is a big, big help at having a great payback cycle for solar at your home. Hans in Michigan says, we are in the planning stages of a full kitchen remodel and choosing major appliance brands is harder than I thought. We want everything to match, but the more I research, the harder it gets. Any suggestions on this or anything else on the remodel would be appreciated. By the way, I'm doing most of the work myself. Well, I am impressed beyond measure because I can't do anything for myself. I mean, I am pitiful at doing anything in a home and taking on a major remodel like that. (laughs) No chance. In fact, I don't think my marriage would survive that (laughs) because I am not the one who would do that. In your case, I'm very impressed, especially right now with the appliance inventory issues as a result of coronavirus making so many people sick and so many factories and messing up production runs and all that, not to mention people having to suffer with the illnesses of coronavirus, means that things are really hit or miss with appliances. I would encourage you not to fixate on getting appliances all from the same brand, same manufacturer. Besides, there are significant variables in quality for each manufacturer in how they make various appliances. No one is great at all of them. So if you can get the look you want, even if it's from different manufacturers, I think that's a better idea. And good luck with this project. Okay, and this is from Matt. My 19-year-old son has lost his social security card and believes someone might have stolen it. We are worried someone might try to steal his identity or set up credit in his name. We did try to go online and freeze his credit, but the site stated he would have to snail mail documents proving his identity. But we're worried that we don't have enough time to wait on the mail system. Unfortunately, this means that your son's identity could not be verified through the electronic process. And that's why documents have to be mailed. Do it right away. You, You may be already in an active identity theft situation. And so immediately mail those documents in through, as you called it, snail mail, because that's what you're going to have to do in this case, since they could not verify identity. And let's hope there's another innocent reason why his identity couldn't be verified electronically. But I'm particularly worried if none of the three credit bureaus were able to electronically verify it does make me more concerned that there could be an active identity theft situation going on. Um, Go to the website of the Identity Theft Resource Center at idtheftcenter.org for in-depth information about what to do in a situation that may involve significant potential identity theft. And this was a fun one from Kevin in Florida. I just wanted to let Clark know about the toothbrushes at Dollar Tree. They're Colgate Soft two-packs. 
Sometimes they have to buy you. They have them buy two, get one free. I was reluctant at first, but I've used them for several months and have had no problems. We change our brushes on the first of every month. Just a suggestion to save since you use such such an expensive toothpaste. (laughs) We've been listening to your advice for years. This could make a difference in your budget. Well, Kevin, thank you very much for that suggestion. I will look for that in the Dollar Tree the next time I'm in one. And I have gotten so much react to my Paradontax (laughs) zillion dollar toothpaste. Um, But hopefully I will continue to have better reports at the dentist from using the toothpaste. Then it will actually be worth it spending all that money. Uh, Next, you want to know why you feel sometimes like store employees are trying to treat you like dirt? It's because they are. So you want to get a rise out of me? You have somebody tell a story about how a salesperson at a retail store tells them, oh, you should absolutely buy our extended warranty. And they'll say, Clark Howard says never to buy those. They'll say, Clark Howard bought one from us. And we've had this again and again. And if you don't know this ancient history about me, My wife was in a store with her mom when her mom was buying a piece of electronics. And the guy starts with a pitch for the extended warranty. And my wife's mom says, my mother-in-law says, no, I don't buy those. And he said, well, you ever heard of Clark Howard? And she said, well, yeah, I have heard of him. Well, you know, He says don't buy them, but he actually buys them. And they had a (laughs) fake record on their computer with my name, a dummy address that was not my address, and then all these items that supposedly I bought extended warranties on. It tells you how low they'll go selling these things. I had a woman come up to me just recently who said, hey, I I bought new appliances, and they said that it's the one item you always say to buy an extended warranty on and that you always buy them on your appliances. So I bought it. Is it true that you really buy them? I said, I'm afraid not. I lied to you. She was so, I mean, like steam was coming out of her ears. Well, now ZDNet, which is an electronics blog, technology blog, has a write-up from an employee at Verizon who is talking about how they rip off their customers. And here's a direct quote. The company is directing employees to only offer a $17 a month insurance offer called Verizon Protect. This is a product that's made up of a bunch of individual products sold as a package. If somebody wants coverage on their phone, there's an option for $6.85 a month. However, it was forbidden by Verizon leadership for retail employees to offer this to customers. Close quote. So this thing with businesses of all kinds selling you the extended service contract, extended warranty garbage is key to how they try to make money even to the point of compelling their employees 
to lie to customers. Now, the question, is Verizon really doing this or not? So that I don't know. And this goes on and on and on about the techniques they use at Verizon. But this was not a disgruntled employee. This was somebody who loved working at Verizon, but just was talking about this matter of fact, how they sell these things. Know that you should have wide insurance coverages in your life. Do you have a level term life insurance policy to protect the loved ones you leave behind? Do you have a disability insurance policy if you're unable to continue to work because you become disabled? You know, you have a three times greater chance during your key working years of becoming disabled than you do of dying. But almost nobody buys a disability insurance policy. If you've developed good assets, do you have good liability insurance coverage to protect those assets? The answer to these questions for most people is no. Uh, Well, I'm going to get around to it. But you go buy a TV and the salesperson's all about, you need to protect your investment. A TV is not an investment. (laughs) A TV is spending for something that you will enjoy that goes in your home. And the TV salespeople don't like it when I say this at all, at all. But if you buy a TV and it dies prematurely on you outside of warranty, if you can't afford to replace that TV, you couldn't afford to buy it in the first place. Do not let somebody con you into buying their garbage extended service contract or extended warranty on anything they're selling you, period. Now, if you're a long-time listener to me, you know the one area I'm neutral is vehicles. But even then, the math isn't great. You're going to, over time, over your lifetime, you'll spend far more on a vehicle extended service contract than you'll ever expend if you would have just paid for the repairs yourself. There are a lot of people who aren't good at having rainy day money, and you got to have your car to get to work. So that's why I'm neutral on that. But if you do buy those, remember, only ever buy one from the manufacturer of your vehicle itself. Never, never, never some plan the dealer is trying to sell you because they say it's so much better than the one from the manufacturer. Uh Uh-uh. Buy the manufacturer's own. End of story on that. Krista? Jen in Washington says, we're in our 70s and have started our first business. That's Awesome. So great. My husband has been a semi driver for other people most of his life and has always wanted to own his own truck and drive on his own authority. Since we need to add to our income and he loves to drive, we bought him a good truck and went into business. Not without a lot of research, mind you. We need to have a software to track our expenses and invoices, etc. We don't intend to grow our business. We just want one truck and one driver. What do you think is the best software to track all of these expenses? Do you think a Chromebook would handle the needs of such a small business? Or to use the software you recommend, do we need bigger capacity? Thanks so much, Clark. Jan, uh, first of all, I I love entrepreneurs of all ages, and this is really something. Uh, The second thing is, because this is an industry that you already know backwards and forwards, it improves the odds of success so mightily. Um, A lot of the software you would use 
to track income and expenses is uh, web-based, so a Chromebook will do that just fine. Although there are products that are localized, but typically you would use a web-based one. I want you, though, to do something that may surprise you. I want you to go sit down with an accountant and go over what kind of expenses you're going to have and have them advise you what software they feel would be best. You might be talking about an hour of clock time from an accountant, CPA who does tax, so that you're keeping the best proper records that will get you the every legal, as H.R. Block used to say, every legal deduction to which you are entitled, that you want to make sure you're doing that up front. Any CPA who does tax always says, how much less tax their clients would pay if they came and asked them questions up front instead of after they've earned the income. And best to both of you. Lisa in South Carolina recently took a road trip and passed through the Louisville area. She says, a few weeks later, I got an invoice in the mail for $8 for two toll fees. It's not a lot of money, but first of all, I didn't even know I was using a toll road. And second of all, I found out I was expected to sign up for an account before assessing assessing the accessing the toll road so I wouldn't get charged a higher toll. I did a little reading and apparently there are different accounts all over the US for each system. Is this something we all have to check for before road trips now? Lisa, Lisa, this happens to people now all over the place and we have a tower of babel of state and local toll authorities in the United States without full interoperability of systems. So you living in South Carolina could buy a toll reader and go to the next state and not have it be interoperable with whatever toll roads they have. And most state toll roads now no longer are staffed. In fact, many of them, you unless you're really paying attention to the signage, you don't even know you're now in a toll zone. So this is how the system works. And the reason that they're not respectful of people that are out of state with these toll roads because you're not a taxpayer and you're not a regular user of that toll road. So we need a national standard toll reader that can be sold across the uh, at least the 48 states and have that available for people to be able to avoid the incredible surcharges that you're charged when you pay what a lot of states refer to as toll by plate or toll by tag, when you don't have the toll reader. Uh, what you can do, and I do this when I'm on the road, is I have on my uh, navigation from Google, on Google Nav, I put in avoid toll roads when I'm in a state where I don't have a toll reader, and that way it will take me on routes where I will avoid having the problem that you had on your trip. I'm sorry to hear about that. And Daniel in Georgia, hello, sir. I'm not sure if you remember me, but I called you last year about my tax options as a 15-year-old. I've gotten three more jobs since then, and I will have enough money for my first car by September. I want to know how I can build my credit without the help of my parents' credit, and what are the best ways for teens to have insurance? Thank you so much. Clearly uh, not written by my 15-year-old. Or my 15-year-old. Oh Daniel, this is awesome. I mean, you've got enough. I used awesome another time this podcast. It's a great <laughs> word, right? 
So um, that you already at 15 have enough money to buy your own first vehicle is really, really great. On the issue of credit, you are not eligible to obtain credit until you're 18 years old, except with the help of your parents. And so I wish I had a better answer for you for that. But as far as teens having credit cards that are not in some way from the parents is just not done. The financial houses won't do it. But I can tell you are going to do absolutely fine. Insurance. Insurance is tough for a teen driver. Start with the company that your parents use for auto insurance and talk to that insurer to see what kind of quotes you might be able to get. But to get more quotes, I want you to look up on the internet independent insurance agent. And there will be people in your state, in your area, who sell insurance from multiple different auto insurers. So you can get quotes from a variety from that one agent, including hopefully who is going to be the best cost and best service insurer, heart combination to get, that you could find. And again, what a fantastic work ethic you have. And this was an awesome podcast. Awesome. Thank you for sending me your questions. I hope you learned something that makes you feel empowered to take more control of your wallet from listening to this show. 